Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teals, Continuing Church of God. Today I want to talk about what type of Catholic was Polycarp of Smyrna. Now, a lot of people have heard of this guy called Polycarp of Smyrna, uh, but they don't seem to really know what he believed. Did he hold Roman Catholic beliefs, Eastern Orthodox beliefs, or Continuing Church of God beliefs? Which, which type of Catholic, if you will, was he? Now, it should be recognized that the Greco-Romans and the Protestants all accept that uh, Polycarp was a saint, and the uh, Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholics say he was Catholic. And there's a document written by the, the people of Smyrna called the Martyrdom of Polycarp, as well as uh, Ignatius's letter to the Smyrnians that also refers to this area this church being Catholic. Now, before we go any further, uh, Smyrna is not a term I probably everybody is familiar with. I'm going to show you where this is. This is a, kind of a map of, of part of the world, and Smyrna is somewhere in this vicinity here in uh, the area we now call Turkey. Oops, let me put it over. I, mean, I was holding Greece. Oh, that's actually kind of good for all this area used to be Greek. Okay, the Turks uh, took it over in the 15th century, but over. In this area here is where, where Smyrna is. It's called Izmir now on the map. Uh, I've been there a couple of different times. Anyway, that's where Polycarp was from. Now, as far as uh, being uh, Catholic goes, I want to just uh, say something that some of you probably heard before if you watched a recent sermon that we had. And that is I want to read something from Ignatius' uh, uh, letter. This is Ignatius from Antioch. Antioch would be uh, uh, south of uh, uh, the Turkish area, the main Turkish part. It's, anyway, it used to be in Syria, now it's in, in Turkey. Anyway, here's what he wrote. Ignatius, who's called Theophorus, to the church of God the Father and of the beloved Jesus Christ at Smyrna in Asia, wherever the bishop appears, there let the congregation be, just as where Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. At the time that was written, Polycarp of Smyrna was the bishop, or pastor, if you will, of the Church of God in Smyrna. And this is the earliest known reference to the term Catholic Church in the literature. Now I want to read something from the uh, uh, late second century. The other part was first second century. This is from the martyrdom of Polycarp. The Church of God which sojourns at Smyrna to the Church of God which sojourns in Philomelium and to all the congregations of the Holy and Catholic Church in every place. The elect of whom this most admirable Polycarp was one, having in our own times have been an apostolic and prophetic teacher and bishop of the Catholic Church, which is in Smyrna. For every word that went out of his mouth has been or shall be yet to be accomplished. So according to Roman Catholic and other scholars, uh, these two letters I just read from are the first ancient references to the term Catholic Church. So yes, it's proper to conclude that it was Polycarp's church, the Smyrnian Church of God, that the oldest literature that we have used the term Catholic Church. Now notice that Polycarp was uh, mentioned to being an apostolic and prophetic teacher and the bishop of the Catholic Church, which is in Smyrna. This points out the declaration that Polycarp taught prophecy and that he had apostolic succession. Therefore, he should have been considered to be the one who had a or the top leadership uh, mantle prior to the time of his death. Because we read in uh, first, 
uh, Corinthians 12, verse 28, there's first apostles and prophets, second prophets, etc. Now, because it had succession from the apostles, as well as early writings, you could say that Smyrna, uh, the Church of God in Smyrna, was the original apostolic Catholic Church of God. And this view was carried forward into the third century by a guy by the name of Peonius. Now, some of the stuff I'll be going over probably a little bit quick, quickly, and some will take a, a while. I'm holding up a new book we have. This is a draft of a new book. It's called Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church. This book and any other I might hold up are available free online at www.ccog.org. That's www.ccog.org. And by the way, this is an artist's uh, impression of Polycarp. We really don't know what he looked like uh, because they didn't have cameras back then. and We don't have any actual statues of him from uh, back in uh, the 1st or 2nd century A.D. Now, before I get to the, what type of Catholic uh, Polycarp was, let's consider some stuff about his uh, claimed succession and his background. In the second, late 2nd century, there's this guy by the name of Tertullian, Tertullian of Alexandria. And here's something he wrote about Asian Ephesus being an apostolic church. And by the way, this Tertullian is considered one of uh, the most important early historians by the Church of Rome. Come now, you who would indulge a better curiosity, if you would apply to the business of your salvation, run over the apostolic churches in which the very thrones of the apostles are still preeminent in their places, in which their own authentic writings are read, uttering the voice and representing the face of each of them severally. Since you're able to cross to Asia, you get to Ephesus. So, Tertullian is asserting that the people knew what the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament writings were, and that there was apostolic succession in Asia Minor, in Ephesus. Now, Tertullian basically concluded there were only two uh, apostolic churches, and others were heretics. So I'm going to read something that he wrote, and this is from his Prescription Against Heretics. And this translation comes from the Catholic Encyclopedia. Anyway, the heresies are at best novelties. In other words, they're relatively new. They have no continuity with the teaching of Christ. Perhaps some heretics may claim apostolic antiquity. We reply, let them publish the origin of their churches and unroll the catalog of their bishops from now to the time of the apostles or for some bishop appointed by the apostles. As the Smyrnians count from Polycarp and John, and the Romans from Clement and Peter, let the heretics invent something to uh, match. Now there are several things I want to say about this. First of all, the Smyrnians claim to have apostolic succession. Yes, the Church of God in Smyrna, uh, and this is uh, what's been the end of the second century, claim to have apostolic succession from John through Polycarp, etc. The other thing is that it's interesting that Tertullian said there were basically two groups. There was the Greco-Roman group, and there was the Asia Minor group. Now, at the time he wrote this, Alexandria in Egypt and Jerusalem were aligned with the Roman group, but uh, Antioch and uh, the predominant churches in Asia Minor were also all associated with the Smyrna group. Okay, 
Um, now, the Smyrna group may have had some connections to Ar Armenia, parts of uh, Europe, parts of Africa, and maybe the British Isles at the same time, but that's a little more difficult to prove. But at that time, those in Rome and Asia Minor were not in fellowship uh, with each other, uh, as there's a letter from Polycrates around, written about the same time that Tertullian wrote this that demonstrates that. Now, Tertullian must have known that these two groups had different beliefs. And that means, at most, one had the beliefs of the original church, the original faith. Now, perhaps I should point out that also, so being known as Asia Minor, the Smyrnian territory was part of what was earlier called Anatolia, from the Greek word Anatole, meaning east. So, basically, uh, this part, Asia Minor, is considered to be the east as far as uh, people in Rome and uh, probably in Greece were concerned. Now, most of the original apostles, uh, all of which were once part of the Mother Church in Jerusalem, went to Asia Minor. And the last of the apostles to die, as far as we know, was John, and he died in Asia Minor in Ephesus. And he essentially passed the mantle, if you will, of the Mother Church onto Polycarp. Now, the Catholic Encyclopedia teaches us, quote, the See of Ephesus was founded by St. John the Apostle. Now, what's a see? Well, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines a see as the seat of a bishop's office. Now, I'll read another quote here. Uh, from, this was actually put out in the Huffington Post. John had a disciple named Polycarp, 69 to 155, a young man who had heard the Apostle's sermons in Ephesus absorbed his teachings and became a bishop and martyr in nearby Smyrna. And uh, Polycrates of Ephesus is reported in the late 2nd century that the Apostle John died in uh, Ephesus. Now the Protestant historian James Charles Wall wrote of, quote, Polycarp, the successor of St. John in the Sea of Ephesus. The sea in this context is an area that was believed to have apostolic succession. But obviously not simply in the city of Ephesus because Polycarp lived in Smyrna. Now the two aren't that far apart. My wife uh, Joyce and I have been to both of them at least twice. Uh, they're probably 20, 20 miles, 30 miles apart, uh, uh, 30, 40 kilometers or so apart. Now I'd like to read something from the Coptic Orthodox Bishop H.G. Uh, Yosef. Polycarp, appointed to be bishop of the Sea of Smyrna by the apostles themselves at age 40. He provides us with an important link in our long historical chain of Orthodox tradition clasping together the apostles in the second century church. Well, yes, the Orthodox various ones claim it, but they don't have the same doctrines, and we're going to get to some of that uh, later. Now, I mentioned Ignatius of Antioch, and he kind of combined Ephesus and Smyrna together in one letter he wrote. He wrote, The Ephesians from Smyrna, from hence also I write you, who are here for the glory of God, who you also are, have in all things refreshed me, salute you, along with Polycarp, the bishop of the Smyrnians. So, again, we see that we've got Polycarp, who's considered to be the uh, uh, successor in the see of Ephesus, but he's also uh, associated with Smyrna. Now, I'm going to read four Roman Catholic citations 
followed by two Protestant ones using the expression Sea of Smyrna. Sea of Smyrna, Polycarp, its first patron, particularly charged by the apostles to instruct it. There's another one. Polycarp, Sea of Smyrna, made Archbishop of Smyrna. Next one. Polycarp himself had learned from the Apostle John and others who had seen Jesus and was appointed to the Sea of Smyrna by the apostles themselves. And uh, and we've got these other ones here. The Sea of Smyrna, Camarillos, had been made deacon by Polycarp. And uh, uh, this one, which is definitely, this one says Polycarp had been a disciple of St. John and had been supposed to have been consecrated by him to the Sea of Smyrna. And so we've got different ones called the Sea of Smyrna or the Sea of Ephesus. I guess I only read five. I thought I can read six, but that's enough, I guess. Now, basically, Greco-Roman and Protestant scholars recognize that there was apostolic succession to uh, Polycarp. Now, I've got this list I'm going to hold up. You won't be able to see it very, very well, but this is succession of leaders uh, uh, from the apostles Peter and Paul through John to Polycarp, etc., into the uh, 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 third century. And uh, that and more on apostolic succession is in our book here, uh, Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church. So we do have a succession list uh, uh, over there. Now, we tend to call the people in that list uh, Smyrnians, partially because by the time of, of Polycarp rose in prominence, as well as the fact that Tertullian of Alexandria used that term as well. Now, the Greek Orthodox, like the Roman Catholics, officially considered that the early Smyrnians were true saints. Okay? The early listed leaders held to Church of God doctrines, which the Greco Romans don't accept anymore. Examples include the observance of Passover on the 14th, the binitarian nature of the Godhead, the avoidance of unclean meats, the coming of the literal millennium. Yet these are all still doctrines that are held by the continuing Church of God. Now whether it's referred to as the Smyrnians or the Sea of Ephesus, early leaders in that list had clear Church of God doctrines that are, were condemned again by the Greco-Roman and Protestant churches. Uh, and some of those you can see, we have, in terms of Protestants, we have a fairly thick book, Hope of Salvation, Out the Continuing Church of God versus Difference from Protestantism. It's also available at ccog.org. Just click on it. Go there under the literature tab. You can find it. Now, it should be pointed out that uh, we accept that there were saints and apostles in Rome, by the way, started with the Apostle Paul, but we don't trace our succession through uh, second century Roman leaders such as... Uh, uh, Pius the uh, first or Anicetus the first. Why? Because they didn't continue with uh, John's Passover example. And perhaps I should point out that in 251 AD, this in the third century, there were actually 44 quote Jewish Christian congregations in Rome. And uh, it's possible one or more of those held succession. We don't have their leaders' names, partially because there was a church historian by the name of Eusebius, that Constantine, the emperor, had put stuff together back in the 4th century, and he didn't write a lot about certain matters, and 
According to Roman Catholic and other scholars, this was intentional, so we don't have all the names and stuff that we would like to have. Now, I want to go into some background about Polycarp. There's a uh, document called The Life of Polycarp. Now, it was likely an altered document, part of it, uh, and people, real scholars know this, but we believe it came probably from the 3rd century, although some think it maybe came in the 2nd century. And it suggests the Church of Smyrna was started by Paul. So let me read this. Tracing with the visit of the blessed Paul to Smyrna, in Smyrna he, Paul, went to visit Stratius, who had been a hearer, and being a son of Eunice, the daughter of Lois. But after the departure of the apostle, Stratius succeeded in his teaching, and certain of those after him, whose names, as far as possible, to discover what manner they were, I will sit down. But for the present, let's proceed at once to Polycarp. One of those whose name was Bucolus, being bishop in Smyrna at that time, and there was a little lad named Polycarp. And his untiring diligence, he from his eastern stock bore, blossom as a token of the good fruit hereafter to come. For the men who dwell in the east, that's Asia Minor, are distinguished before all others for their love of learning and their attachment to the divine scriptures. Now, because Lois was the grandmother of uh, Timothy, and you can see that in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, and Timothy was a church leader uh, at that time, uh, those, some other uh, listed leaders that, the, uh, uh, that some people say should be in the church of Ephesus, uh, I, I don't count them in terms of succession because uh, we've talked about apostolic succession, and we had the Apostle John move to Ephesus. So people who were before him, like, like Timothy, we don't really have a, in succession. Now, Paul was less than uh, 20 years of age at the time of... Uh, Polycarp was less than 20 years of age at the time of Paul's uh, uh, visit, uh, possibly as young as age four. Uh, and one of the reasons I mention that is because some people say that Polycarp came from Paul, but if Paul, if Polycarp, uh, Polycarp was so young at the time, uh, that seems un that seems really unlikely. Now, as, as far as left Polycarp saying that Polycarp had Eastern meaning Greek stock goes, understand that even though he was a Gentile, Polycarp held on to practice considered to be Jewish at this time, when the majority churches in Rome and in Jerusalem abandoned them because of fear and cowardice. Christians with original practices considered to be Jewish have been subject to persecution and or despised for centuries. Uh, Polycarp would have had to endure uh, uh, being despised from imperial authorities, and we in the continuing church of God uh, endure uh, being despised by those who uh, don't hold to the practices of the original Catholic Church to this day. Now, as far as Polycarp's age goes, I want to read something from a 3rd century Syriac document known as the Harris Fragments. There remained a disciple after John. His name was Polycarp. And John made him bishop over Smyrna. He was an old man, being 104 years of age. Now, when asked to revile Christ, uh, it's kind of interesting. In the martyrdom of Polycarp, a couple of different things happened. One is, they didn't really want to kill Polycarp because he was old. And they said to Polycarp, just say death to the atheists and we'll let you live. 
because the Roman authorities considered uh, Christians to be atheists because they didn't worship the Roman gods. So Polycarp looks out at the audience and yells, Death to the atheists! Well, the Roman authorities said, eh, that's not quite what we mean. Uh, just renounce Christ, and you don't have to die. Uh, but Polycarp said, for 86 years I've been his servant, and he's done me no wrong. Now, if you subtract 86 from 104, this points to Polycarp being baptized at age 18. Now, this is mentioned because some people say that Polycarp died at age 86 and was baptized as an infant by the Apostle John. But Polycarp had to have been older than 86 when he died to possibly have been appointed bishop by any of the original apostles, particularly if it's supposed to happen around age 40. And uh, the other thing is, if, if Polycarp only lived age 86, the original apostles would have been dead by the time he was 40, because an 86-year life would have made Polycarp 40 probably around 118 AD. And John would have died almost two decades prior to that. But if Polycarp lived 104, he'd have been about 40 in 94 AD, and the Apostle, Paul, excuse me, the Apostle John, who was alive then, and others perhaps like Philip, could have appointed or ordained him. Uh, and if Polycarp didn't live that long, if he only lived 86 years, the idea of uh, John, Paul possibly appointing him makes no sense. Uh, because uh, uh, when we believe the Apostle Paul was uh, killed, somewhere between 64 and 68 AD, and then he was in Rome, you got to back that out and get him to Asia Minor, and it just doesn't work uh, that way. Now, I should probably uh, mention, some people say, well, 104, that sounds really too old. You're really stretching it. You're exaggerating. Well, no. It was actually reported by Eusebius, the church historian I mentioned a little earlier, Constantine's church historian, that uh, uh, Simeon, who was successor to the Apostle James in Jerusalem, he was killed at age 120. And also back in uh, 1821, a cleric by the name of Glock wrote that Polycarp was placed in charge of the Sea of Smyrna around 70 years, and he calculated that Polycarp lived around 100 years based on other historical records, and that the idea that Polycarp died at age 86 was, quote, a misconception, end quote. Furthermore, uh, Irenaeus of Lyon, who is considered to be a saint by the Greco-Romans and Protestants, wrote that Polycarp lived a very long time, and he was appointed bishop by the apostles, and he was martyred. He was a very old man, and you can read this in against Heresy's book. I won't read it here. Now, again, some think Polycarp was more of a disciple of John. Some say it's Paul. Uh, again, based on the age issues, I, I tend to lean more toward uh, John. Although some scholars have said Irenaeus, when he wrote about John Polycarp, was just trying to support some view of apostolic succession, and it didn't really that Polycarp and John didn't know each other. A later report from Polycrates is supported the view that John and Polycarp knew each other, and I'll get to that later. Plus the Harris fragments, and there's other other pieces in there. There's also something. Now this is not a highly reliable book. This is from the second century. It's from a book called uh, The Acts of the Holy Apostles. And uh, John 
evangelist John, the theologian. John went to Ephesus, regulated all teachings of the church, holding many conferences, reminding them of what the Lord had said to them and what duty he had assigned to each. And when he was old and changed, he ordered Polycarp to be bishop over the church. So I find it interesting that this says that Apostle John put Polycarp over the church. Uh, this seems to be a reference to the entire church, as it only mentions uh, Ephesus and uh, Polycarp was in Smyrna at the time. Or at minimum, it's showing that the Apostle John was putting Polycarp in charge of what could be called the Sea of Ephesus or the Sea of Smyrna. Now, within the Church of God, I'd like to read something that the late Church of God leader Herbert W. Armstrong wrote about Polycarp succeeding John. It's significant that after his release, John trained Polycarp, elder of Smyrna, a city near Ephesus in the province of Asia, according to Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Smyrna follows Ephesus. In Smyrna, Polycarp presided over the church for half a century after John's death. Polycarp stood up boldly for the truth while many fell away. This is from uh, the Good News Magazine, December 1981. Uh, and Polycarp himself was a unique apostolic successor. He's the only possible direct apostolic successor considered by any church we're aware of to have a letter written to him when he was alive. Yeah, there were letters written to New Testament leaders, but none of them is in the uh, appointed succession lists that uh, uh, I've seen other than Timothy, but because John came, the Apostle John came after Timothy in Ephesus, I didn't include him. Polycarp's the only direct apostolic successor to have any document uh, that he wrote that we possess to this day. Now, I know that some say that Clement of Rome wrote one, but various scholars say, wait, it doesn't say he wrote it, and we just, we just don't know. He's the only one to have a significant document written about him shortly after his death. What I mean, the only direct apostolic successor. Shortly after he died, this letter called the Martyrdom of Polycarp went out. He's the only possible direct successor that we're aware of who was clearly called a bishop or overseer or pastor when he was alive. The Greco-Roman Protestant scholars and church guide historians all teach that Polycarp was a spiritually faithful Christian leader. Yet, as we'll go, uh, he refused to accept the uh, authority of the Roman bishop Anicetus. Now, he's the only one possible successor to have a writing perhaps directed partially toward him in the Bible. Some scholars believe that when the Apostle John wrote about the Apostle of the excuse me, the angel of the church of Smyrna. This is actually addressed to the leader of the church because the term angel could just mean messenger or human representative. I'm not sure if that or not, but that's something from scripture. And the ancient Romans stated the following, that Polycarp, this teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the overthrower of our gods, he has been teaching many not to sacrifice and worship the gods. It's kind of interesting that the pagans called uh, Polycarp the father of the Christians. They didn't call somebody in Rome. They called Polycarp that. He was definitely a uh, very important apostolic successor. And Protestant scholars tend to call him proto-Orthodox, meaning he was a faithful Christian, uh, and what's now considered to be Orthodox has changed after the case. Now, 
I've read that uh, Poly, from Martyrdom Polycarp, it says that he was an apostolic and prophetic teacher, bishop of the Catholic Church, which is in Smyrna. But what Catholic Church was he part of? Well, the Church of God that sojourns in Smyrna. And that's what it also says in Martyrdom Polycarp. And that, so therefore, this Catholic Church would include Smyrna and any other churches in Asia Minor or anywhere else that Polycarp was in charge of. Now, the Orthodox, which once had a substantial presence in Asia Minor, except a minor one, considered Polycarp was their type of Catholic. Now, when my wife and I visited Smyrna, and its town is now called Izmir, we went to see the Church of St. Polycarp, and that was Roman Catholic. And so it was, I believe that is consistent with the ideas that the Roman Catholics think that Polycarp was their kind of Catholic. And I confirmed that with a, a priest who was of that building when we were there. But we in the Continuing Church of God assert that Polycarp held to doctrines consistent with what we teach. And in many cases which are in opposition of the Greco-Roman churches. Uh, Polycarp taught the kingdom of God was the reward of the saved and not heaven, as later traditions uh, pushed. Well, I'm going to read something that Polycarp wrote. Blessed are the poor and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, and I'm going to read something about him from the life of Polycarp. It says, In the following Sabbath, Sabbath which we keep, he, Polycarp, said, Hear you, my exhortation, beloved children of God, his advent suddenly manifests as a rapid lightning, the great judgment by fire, the eternal life, his immortal kingdom. And all things whatsoever being taught of God, you know when you search the inspired scriptures. Engraved with the pen of the Holy Spirit on your hearts and the commandments may abide in you indulgibly. Now, Church of God leaders in Asia Minor and elsewhere taught that as well as the millennium for centuries. Now, I mentioned something called the Harris Fragments, and there are some scholars that have dismissed the Harris Fragments and life of Polycarp as inauthentic. But scholars also recognize they have value, and they certainly do. Now, it's known that in the life of Polycarp, there were some questionable parts that were changed, things that were changed later. But how should we look at them? Well, we've got to look at what Polycarp taught, and also look if there's other information. And we see some information in the life of Polycarp and the uh, Harris Fragments that confirm various things, including, by the way, Polycarp's age. But that doesn't mean they never have any type of embellishments or something in them. Now, the life of Polycarp, by the way, clearly teaches that early Christians kept the days of leavened bread and that Passover had to be in the same season as those days. I don't believe that was a later addition by the Greco-Romans because they got rid of that. And... The section, one section that some have brought up is that Polycarp went to church on Saturday and Sunday. Well, that's in a section that scholars have said were added later. So if anybody tries to tell you that Polycarp was a Sunday keeper, not a Sabbath keeper, it's based on information that people consider to be false. Okay? Uh, and also there's a comment about him keeping uh, the Lord's Day. And I'm going to get to that uh, later as well. And related to the martyrdom of Polycarp document, a scholar by the name of Gerd Bushman says that the document is a 
Catholic normative and displays the dogmatic common sense of, proto, of the proto-Catholic Church. But that's somewhat misleading. A more proper view would be the original portions of the martyrdom of Polycarp would be considered part of the original Catholic Church, not the proto-Catholic Church. And if, it, and if uh, the statement related to Polycarp in the martyrdom of Polycarp is true, and let me read it, for every word which came out of his mouth has been or shall not be, or shall be accomplished is related is accurate related to doctrine obviously doctrine should not change so people shouldn't say no polycarp was their kind of catholic except he really wasn't he had some views but the church of rome uh, the eastern orthodox church and the protestants changed views and they are diametrically opposed to various ones that polycarp had now, I'm going to read from a Catholic translation of the Bible, Jude, verse 3. Jude wrote, To contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. If Polycarp was doing that, and we the continuing church of God to say he was, it's important to know what he taught. He was not Protestant. He did not hold to many of the extra-biblical uh, arguments that the Protestants taught. Matter of fact, on the front cover here, you see the same... St- statue of uh, Polycarp and one next to Martin Luther. There's a chart here explaining why we don't consider Martin Luther to be a true Christian or one who believes in Sola Scriptura and it contrasts what Martin Luther taught to Polycarp. Now Polycarp knew uh, about the books of the uh, New Testament. Now some consider a document known as a Muratorium Fragment, which also by the way uses the term Catholic Church, to be the oldest list of New Testament books. But it improperly includes heretical books like the Apocalypse of Peter and the Wisdom of Solomon. And it excludes biblical books such as the book of Hebrews, James, uh, Epistle, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and one of John's epistles. So whatever they had in Rome at the time was not the same Catholic church that was in Smyrna. Now, Polycarp's letter to the Philippians shows that at least in Asia Minor and Philippi, they recognized books that the Muratorium fragment excluded because Polycarp quoted the book of Hebrews, First uh, Peter, and he has references to teaching in James, Second Peter, and all three of the epistles of John. And it doesn't include false books like the Apocalypse of Peter. And also in the early second century, Polycarp of Smyrna stated to the Philippians, for I trust you are well versed in the sacred scriptures. And uh, they could not have been well versed in the sacred scriptures if they didn't know what they were. Now, I want to read something from the Harris Fragments. It says, Polycarp continued to walk in the canons which he learned from his youth from John the Apostle. The canons from his youth would seem to include the first books of the New Testament, and then later, since Polycarp continued, with the real canon, or the rest of the canon, which the Apostle John would have known. Now we have a draft book, which is online, called Who Gave the World the Bible? The Canon. Why do we have the books we have in the Bible? Is the Bible complete? We contend that the Apostle John knew what the books of the New Testament were, since he wrote the last several of them, and he passed that knowledge on to Polycarp, and that's consistent with what the Harris Fragments write. Again, this book is also available at the ccog.org page, go to the literature tab under books and booklets and you can find it there. And again, that's just a draft cover. What about the Sabbath? 
The New Testament, and I'm not going to read this, shows that the Christians in Asia Minor kept the seventh-day Sabbath. You can see that in Acts 13, verse 13 and 14, verse 42, as well as Acts 14, verse 1. But now I'd like to read something from the life of Polycarp. Um, actually, no, it's not from the life of Polycarp. This is from the uh, uh, Acts of the Holy Apostle and Evangelist John the Theologian. John, on the seventh day, it being the Lord's day, he said to them, Now it's time for me also to partake of food. He ordered Polycarp to be bishop over the church. So interestingly, this document, this ancient 2nd second, second century document, says that the Lord's day was the seventh day. And Polycarp, by the way, continued to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. And uh, one scholar wrote that specifically the life of Polycarp supplies evidence for Christians gathering on the Sabbath. And this is true. Now, probably the most influential person to try to do away with the Sabbath was a guy by the name of Marcion of Pontus. And Irenaeus reported that Polycarp denounced Marcion. Polycarp was a heretic fighter. He denounced people like Marcion and Pontus. And Sabbath keeping continued. Uh, you can see that actually in the life of Polycarp book, as well as centuries later in this area. I'd like to read something else from a scholar. There are many traces of continual Sabbath keeping, especially among Greek-speaking churches in the East. Christians in Smyrna were still keeping the Sabbath around 156 A.D., around the time Polycarp was martyred. Now I'd like to read something else from the life of Polycarp. For, for Polycarp would extend his discourse to great length on diverse subjects. And from the actual scripture, which was read from, he would furnish edification to all demonstration and conviction. And on the Sabbath, when prayer had been made a long time on bended knee, he, as was his custom, got up to read, and every eye was fixed on him. Now the lesson was the epistles of Paul. So as far as the original church services, Polycarp used actual scriptures and did so on the Sabbath. And let me also point out that mistranslations aside, Ignatius of Antioch also kept the Sabbath, and we have information about that uh, in this book and some of our other books. Now as a successor to the Apostle John, Polycarp would have kept Passover on the 14th of the first month of the biblical year of Abib, otherwise known as Nisan, just like the Jews did in Exodus 12, uh, verses 6 and 11. Now, the historian Eusebius wrote, noted the following about Polycarp's region. The parishes of all Asia, as from an older tradition, held that the 14th day of the moon, on which day the Jews were commanded to sacrifice the lamb, should be observed as a feast of the Savior's Passover. Now, he called it an older tradition, but it would be more accurate to call it an original practice of the apostles. And it's also specifically done by Jesus. You can see that in Mark uh, 14, 12 to 25. And Polycarp and his actual spiritual descendants continued the practices of the apostles in that area. And these practices were also kept by Philip and John in the latter part of the first century. Yet during Polycarp's time, uh, Bishop Anicetus of Rome preferred Sunday. And Irenaeus wrote that uh, the blessed Polycarp 
was uh, sojourning in Rome at the time of Anicetus. There was a controversy between them. Anicetus couldn't uh, persuade Polycarp to forgo the observance of Passover on the 14th. And uh, Polycarp wouldn't change because he said these things were always observed by John, the disciple of the Lord, and other apostles with whom he had been conversant with. So Polycarp said he talked to various apostles. I'm pretty sure it would be at least John and Philip. Perhaps Paul, but Paul had been very, very young. And uh, he was uh, uh, Polycarp, though he couldn't get Anicetus to completely change, Anicetus decided to go along with Polycarp and have Passover on the 14th when Polycarp was visiting. And Irenaeus said he did this to, by way of sh to show him respect. But I think he also did it because if he wasn't seen with Polycarp, people would say, oh, he's not part of the original church either. So I should tell people that people consider Anicetus to be a pope, and Polycarp told the pope no. And that should tell anybody that the Church of Rome did not have jurisdiction over all the churches, because otherwise Polycarp, if he would have accepted that, would have done it. And here's a, one scholar wrote, Anicetus' acquiescence to Polycarp's views concerning the Passover presumes an accepted representation of some apostolic tradition in the latter. So in other words, what a scholar by the name Hartog is writing is, look, Anicetus decided he had to go along with the 14th Passover when Polycarp was there because it was tying to the apostles. Polycarp did not keep what is now known as Easter Sunday what became Easter Sunday. Uh, nor did he or any other early Christians celebrate uh, Christmas either, for that matter. And uh, anyway, various scholars have said that the dispute between uh, Irenaeus, between Anicetus and Polycarp had to do with Passover. Now, the idea that the church in Asia Minor always kept Passover on the 14th was confirmed by uh, the Bishop uh, Plicrates of Ephesus in the, in the 190s. And here's what he wrote to the Roman Bishop Victor. We observe the exact day, neither adding or taking away, for in Asia great lights have fallen asleep, await the resurrection. Among these are Philip, one of the 12 apostles, who fell asleep in Heropolis, was in Asia Minor, his uh, various daughters, uh, and John, who was a witness and teacher and reclined in the bosom of the Lord, he fell asleep in Ephesus. And then Polycarp of Smyrna, uh, bishop and martyr. Then Thracius, who was a bishop and martyr, who died in uh, Smyrna, killed in Smyrna. Uh, Sigaris died in Laodicea. Papias, Melito, uh, Plicrates. He says, all my relatives observed the day the people put away the leaven. And uh, we've gone through every uh, holy scripture. And we're not afraid by terrifying words. Those greater than us say we must obey God rather than men. I mentioned those riches who were present as I summoned at your desire. If I read them all down, it was a, lot, it was a great multitude. So basically he wrote, look. I wrote this letter, but I ain't the only one who believes that Passover is supposed to be on the 14th. The apostles did, Polycarp did, other leaders in Asia Minor, and the ones we know, they, they do. And it's also interesting, they're also talking about the days of leavened bread. 
Now Luke, who was a Gentile, who wrote to another uh, Gentile in the book of Acts, he calls, uh, he talks about the days of unleavened bread in Jerusalem, as well as in the Gentile area of Philippi in the book of Acts. And he didn't explain them because why? Early Christians kept the days of unleavened bread. This is also consistent with Peonius' uh, Life of Polycarp. It said the Apostle Paul told the faithful in Smyrna to keep Passover at the same time of the days of unleavened bread. And in the book of uh, John, chapter 19, verse 31, um, Jesus was uh, taken down from the stake when he was executed just before sunset because that was a high day or, or a great day. And there's a statement in the martyrdom of Polycarp of when Polycarp suffered martyrdom. And there's been some confusion about this. But to make a long story short, and if you want the details, the details are in uh, uh, this book uh, that we have, the Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church. Uh, while the Church of Rome and the Eastern Orthodox point to Polycarp's martyrdom on the 23rd of February, uh, it's most likely that it was uh, on uh, the first or last day of unleavened bread. And uh, furthermore, uh, we have a similar situation with a person who was uh, martyred by the name of uh, Peonius in the uh, 3rd century. And without going through all the details on this, and they're all pretty technical, uh, you, can, you can read them here, and uh, we, tie, we would tie them in there and basically say that uh, we have evidence from not only the life of Polycarp that they kept the Sabbath, but also the martyrdom of Peonius that people in Smyrna were still keeping the Sabbath. Uh, we have records also that um, people were keeping the Feast of uh, Tabernacles or the, uh, from the life of Polycarp. Polycarp referred to the Feast of Tabernacles in the last great day. And uh, uh, so we've got evidence that Polycarp kept the biblical holy days. And if you want information about keeping the biblical holy days, we have a book on that. Should you keep God's holy days or demonic holidays? Polycarp kept the biblical holy days. And this also, by the way, explains the Gentiles were keeping the holy days. And a lot of Protestants and some uh, Greco-Romans think that was not the case, but that can be demonstrated here. We have some historical evidence you can look at. And that's free at ccog.org. Now, I want to mention something that happened for keeping the Passover. Now, people keeping Passover on the 14th were later called uh, quarto, uh, decimans from... Uh, uh, the word meaning 14th. And because people like Polycarp and John and the apostles kept Passover on the 14th of the first month of, of the biblical calendar. Let me read you something from Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Volume 3. Edicts of Theodosius against the heretics. Theodosius was a Roman emperor. I considered him pagan, but uh, people say he converted, but he didn't convert to original, uh, the original Catholic faith. Anyway, Edicts of Ethiop, Theodosius against heretics, 83-94. Theodosius decreed that by the death of the offender, the same capital punishment was inflicted on the quartodecimans who should dare perpetuate the atrocious crime of celebrating on, the, on an improper day of the festival. 
So, in other words, a supposedly converted pagan, Emperor Theodosius, decreed the death penalty on people who kept Passover on the 14th, which is what the Apostle John did, the Apostle Philip did, uh, Polycarp, Melito, uh, Polycrates, Sigaris, uh, Thracius, uh, Papias, and some others I probably didn't mention. All kept it then. Pretty much all of them are considered saints by the Greco-Roman churches. Yet, the Greco-Roman church supported the idea of Theodosius to go out and kill people who had the same belief and practice that Polycarp had. Uh, the non-violent Polycarp was not their type of Catholic. Now, Polycarp taught the Bible over tradition. I'm going to read a couple things related to that. Irenaeus wrote, Polycarp related all things in harmony with the scriptures. Okay, all things in harmony with the scriptures. Which means he didn't endorse traditions that were opposed to them. Irenaeus also wrote, Polycarp was not only instructed by the apostles and conversed with many who had seen Christ, but was also by the apostles appointed bishop of the church in Smyrna. He always taught the things which he had learned from the apostles, like the 14th Passover, and which the church has handed down, which alone are true. To these things all the Asiatic churches testify, as do those men who succeeded Polycarp down to this present time. When I showed the succession list earlier, those were the men that, among the men that Irenaeus was referring to. They're apostolic. They taught millennium. They taught Passover. They kept the Sabbath. They didn't eat unclean meats. Now I want to read something Polycarp wrote. This is in his letter to the Philippians. For whosoever does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is Antichrist. And whosoever does not confess the testimony of the staros is of the devil. And whosoever perverts the oracles of the Lord to his own lust and says there is neither resurrection nor judgment, he is the firstborn of Satan. Wherefore, forsaking the vanity of many in their false doctrines, let us return to the word which has been handed down to us from the beginning. So Polycarp was seeing that there were some false traditions that were rising up, and he was pointed, uh, working against them. Now, interestingly, the Eastern Orthodox say the following in a ceremony they have about Polycarp. This is from the Greek Archdiocese of America. As a sharer of the ways and successor to the throne of the apostles, O inspired of God, you found discipline to be a means of assent to divine vision. Wherefore, having rightly divided the word of truth, you did also contest for the faith, even unto blood, O Heriomartyr Polycarp. The apostolic prophetic man and model of faith and truth was a disciple of John the Evangelist. Yes, Polycarp, from we know what we know, rightly divided the word of truth, meaning he properly understood the Bible. He was a martyr and he refused to accept the traditions of many such as were being accepted by bishops of Rome, and at that time, Jerusalem, as well as uh, Alexandria, like Easter Sunday. Now, I mentioned the millennium. I'd like to read 
uh, something by the guy by the name of Papias. He was from the early second century. Well, he, well actually, he was born in the early in the first century, but this is from the early second century. These things are attested by Papias, an ancient man who was a hearer of the Apostle John and a friend or companion of Polycarp. There will be a period of some thousand years after the resurrection of the dead that the kingdom of Christ will be set up in material form on this earth. And that's exactly what Polycarp would have believed. Despite this being an original Christian Catholic belief, it was formally condemned by the Greco-Roman at the Council of Constantinople in 381 that was convened by Emperor Theodosius. Now, it should be pointed out, there are some among the Russian Orthodox and the Eastern Orthodox who do believe in millennium. But it was uh, condemned by the Eastern Orthodox, and I've got uh, their condemnation in, uh, in, this, in this book. I won't read it here, but uh, basically what they said was that they know that their early fathers taught it, uh, but that they changed it. Okay, so I know if you're East Orthodox, saying, oh no, we, we believe the original faith. Really? Go here. You may, you the East Orthodox, you may well believe the faith from the 4th century on. But the original faith? There's a lot of holes. Not all, not, you guys do have some things that are right, don't get me wrong, but you do have a lot of holes. And have holds of views that are contrary to those of the original Catholic Church in the original faith that was practiced by the apostles and promoted by people such as Polycarp of Smyrna. Uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia notes that uh, a bunch of early leaders uh, taught the uh, uh, millennium and that uh, those who rejected it were Marcion, who was denounced by Polycarp, and the Gnostics, but that in time they changed it. And in this book I have uh, many quotes from the Catholic Encyclopedia that, that back up what I just said. And they also said that Melito of Sardis uh, kept uh, or taught the millennium and he was the successor of Polycarp. Now, I will also mention that when I read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, version that someone gave me, a 1995 paperback, the only doctrine of Antichrist that's mentioned in the Roman Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church is got to do with the millennium. Okay, now Catholics, Roman Catholics do believe that there's other doctrines of Antichrist, but this is the only one in their catechism. So they are condemning people in Polycarp's area, people they call saints like Papias and Melito, of teaching a doctrine of Antichrist. And I think that's absurd, but that's what they, they do. So Church of Rome formally has condemned, as did the Eastern Orthodox, the millennial doctrine, but Polycarp and people who knew Polycarp taught it. Okay. This is one of the reasons why I say Polycarp held Church of God doctrines because we teach the Millennial Kingdom of God. In fact, we have a book booklet, the Gospel of the Kingdom of God, and this booklet's available at uh, over 100 languages at ccog.org. For to, to see languages other than English, you don't go to the literature tab. Just head straight down on the page and eventually start to see these languages listed, and you can click on them and you can read the book, or you can have friends read the book. And we teach the Millennial Kingdom of God as did uh, Papias, the Apostle John. Uh, Polycarp would have done so, as well as Melito and others. 
Now, there's something else that we teach, and I want to, uh, Polycarp endorsed, it's called apocatastasis. I know it's a long word. Apocatastasis. The Catholic Encyclopedia teaches apocatastasis is a name given in history of theology as a doctrine which teaches that a time will come when all free creatures will share in the grace of salvation in a special way, the lost souls. Now, in the early 2nd century, a bishop or pastor Ignatius of Antioch exhorted Bishop Pastor Polycarp of Smyrna to teach that all may be saved. In his letter to Polycarp, Ignatius wrote, I entreat you by the grace which, which you are clothed to press forward in your course and exhort all that they may be saved. Now to exhort all that they may be saved, this is what's teaching, not only the Jews, not, uh, not just some of the Gentiles, but all, and not just those who are called in this age, but all. And we have a book, on, a book on this called Universal Offer of Salvation. And this is where we have some similarities to the Eastern Orthodox because they have a belief that it's possible that up until the last great day, God will call those who are resurrected and those who are not called in this age. We in the Continuing Church of God teach this. Uh, we teach it bluntly and boldly. Other early Christian leaders such as the... Uh, uh, Theophilus of Antioch, who was a Church of God leader, also taught this, and he's quoted in this particular uh, uh, book as well. And so, uh, this is a belief that we have, and there's hundreds of scriptures that back this up. Again, it's a belief that we hold to that the Church of Rome does not, even though from time to time some of their leaders uh, have pushed it. You know, interestingly, Polycarp wrote of the prophetic mystery of the coming of Christ, and that includes God's plan of salvation, as well as some of the other mysteries of God's plan. Um, we have a book that I'm going to hold up. The Mystery of God's Plan. Why did God make anything? Why did God uh, create anything? Why did God make you? Polycarp understood a lot of the mystery of God's plan that Greco-Romans and Protestants don't understand to this day. Now, other things. Jesus... And the apostles kept the Ten Commandments. What about Polycarp? In his letter to the Philippians, he wrote, He who raised Jesus up from the dead will raise us up also, if we do his will, walk in his commandments, love what he loved, keeping ourselves from all unrighteousness, covetousness, knowing that God's not mocked, we ought to walk worthy of his commandments and glory. Neither fornicators nor feminists nor feminine, nor abuses themselves of mankind, shall inherit the kingdom of God, nor those who do things inconsistent or unbecoming. The virgins also must walk in a blameless and pure conscience. If a man does not keep himself from covetousness, he shall be defiled by idolatry and shall be judged as one of the heathen. But who of us are ignorant of the judgment of the Lord? Uh, unlike various Protestants, we're going to talk about them in here, Polycarp and early faithful Christians kept the Ten Commandments. And we've got a book just on the Ten Commandments if you want to, to read that, also available at the ccg.org website. Early Christians kept the Ten Commandments, including Polycarp. It's interesting how some Protestant theologians will argue against the Ten Commandments and say Polycarp is a saint. Now, well, Polycarp kept the Ten Commandments. Uh, Theophilus Antioch, who I mentioned before, uh, listed the Ten Commandments. Now we know that we did so. And on the ministry, Polycarp had some writings as well. Here's what he wrote. 
And let the presbyters, or the elders, be compassionate and merciful to all, bringing back those who wander, visiting all the sick, and not neglecting the widow, the orphan, or the poor, but always providing for that which is becoming the sight of God in man. That's something we strive to do in the continuing Church of God. Abstaining from all wrath, respecter of persons, and unjust judgment, keeping far off from all covetousness, and not quickly crediting an evil report against anyone, not severe in judgment, as knowing that we are all under a debt of sin. If we then entreat the Lord to forgive us, we ought ourselves also to forgive, for we are before the eyes of our Lord and God, and we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and must everyone give account of himself. Again, this is why he wrote to the ministers. Let us then serve him in fear and with all reverence, even as he himself commanded us, and as the apostles who preached the gospel unto us, and the prophets who proclaimed beforehand the coming of the Lord, and taught us. Let us be zealous in the pursuit of that which is good, keeping ourselves from causes of offense, from false brethren, and from those who in hypocrisy bear the name of the Lord, and draw men draw away vain men into error. Polycarp was warning about those who compromised and tried to pull people in. Uh, Polycarp warned against uh, false teachers. I'm reading something from uh, Monroe's book, The Church of Smyrna, History and Theology of a Primitive Christian Community. Polycarp, in his letters to the Philippians, invites his recipients to abandon the vanity of the multitude and their false doctrines to return the word that was there from the beginning. Worrying about the vanity of the multitude, Polycarp was admonishing the Church of God to be separate at a distance. Uh, and this separation has occurred throughout history. Both Polycrates of Ephesus and Serapion of Antioch were witnesses to the separation in the third century. Sadly, most of the many who claim Polycarp was the saint of their faith don't have the same teachings and practices Polycarp did. Nor will they keep the word which is handed down from the beginning. Now some people have claimed that Polycarp held a uh, Trinitarian view of the Godhead. But there's no early quotes from him or about him that actually support that claim. The existing evidence is the contrary. So I'm going to read uh, what Polycarp wrote. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, who is the Son of God, and the, the, our everlasting High Priest, build you up in faith and truth, in all meekness, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, forbearance, and purity, and may he bestow on you a lot and portion among his saints, and on us with you, and on all that are under heaven, who shall believe on the Lord and God, Jesus Christ, and the Father who raised him from the dead. And when I read this, you see that he called, Polycarp called the Father God, and he called the Son God. Even scholars like the Greco-Roman uh, uh, Mon Mon Monroy, who wrote the Smyrna book, recognized Polycarp made Binitarian statements. He wrote, As for the Binitarian confessional formula, which confesses the Father and Son, we find examples in Polycarp and Ignatius, both of which are considered saints by the Greco-Romans. Now, interestingly, in the 4th uh, century, 
the Orthodox Catholic Bishop Marcellus of Ancyra, or Ancyra wrote, there's a heresy of the Ariomaniacs which has corrupted the Church of God. He's talking about the people, the Unitarians. Uh, it, it, oh, he said, let me go back. Along with, I'm going to put it in modern English. Along with the heresy of the Unitarians, which has corrupted the Church of God, there are those who teach three hypostases, like Valentinus, the heretic, did when he in his, invented his book on the three natures. He was the first to invent three hypostases, and he has discovered the philosophers from Hermes and uh, Plato. But Polycarp, by the way, who is a heretic fighter, denounced Valentinus's teachings, and he turned people away from him, according to Irenaeus. So Polycarp was not a Trinitarian. He wasn't lawless, because he taught against Marcion. He wasn't uh, anti-millennium, because he also taught against Marcion, who was anti-millennium. He wasn't Sabbath either. Marcion was anti-Sabbath. But Polycarp kept the Sabbath. Polycarp uh, endorsed the millennium. I would have taught the millennium. Uh, and he was Benetarian. And uh, this is things a lot of people do not understand about him. He held a Benetarian view of the Godhead. I, yeah, I read the part where he talked about the Holy Spirit engraving on your hearts, but uh, various Church of God leaders at the time referred to the Holy Spirit as like a pen. If you actually go into uh, Greco-Roman history, they will tell you that it was not until uh, Theodosius' Council of Constantinople in 381 AD that the Trinity was formally accepted by the Greco-Romans. Oh, there were some who believed it off and on throughout the centuries. Okay, but it was not an original practice or belief. And certainly it was not a belief Polycarp held. And interestingly, uh, Theodosius, prior to the council that he convened, said you couldn't call yourself the Catholic Church if you didn't accept the Trinity. But that Trinity that he pushed and got adopted in 381 AD was not part of the original faith. Uh, let me summarize uh, some of this. You've got to be careful these days because there's various ones on the internet and uh, elsewhere. We're going to try to tell you, look, there's a church of Polycarp. It's a Roman Catholic church. Therefore, Polycarp is Roman Catholic. No. Some of these people will tell you infant baptism is valid. They claim because Polycarp died when he was uh, 86. And since he served God for 86, Jesus for 86 years, that that proves that he was baptized infant by John is false because, as I said, the numbers don't add up. Uh, Polycarp being 100, 104, like the Harris Fragments say, adds up with the data and demonstrates that Polycarp would have been baptized when he was uh, 18. So no, Polycarp does not prove infant baptism. The reality is we know that Polycarp was the bishop or the pastor, overseer, who was in charge of the Church of God in Smyrna. And that was the first church addressed to as the Catholic Church in the earliest Christian literature. As I mentioned before, he, Polycarp was not baptized as an infant. 
and he looks to have been martyred when he was around 104 years of age. According to various writings that we have, from Arrhenius and uh, Tertullian and things like the Harris Fragments, etc., Polycarp was a successor to the Apostles. He knew what the books of the New Testament were, and I actually went through the letter that he wrote to the Philippians, looked up all quotes to see did he either quote or at least allude to every book in the New Testament, and he did. Matter of fact, I had this published actually in a Protestant journal a decade or so ago, and uh, they eventually uh, withdrew the paper because some Protestant scholars didn't want to believe that because that wasn't such a tradition they accepted because they didn't want to accept that the true Church of God knew the Bible from the beginning, uh, uh, or had the canon from the beginning, and it's one of the reasons that I wrote this book. Uh, again, this is just a, a mock-up of the co cover of the book, but uh, you can find the book, and it is online at uh, ccog.org to show that, yes, Polycarp and those in his area knew the books of the Bible. Polycarp had the first complete canon. He would have gotten from the Apostle John. The Church of God had the canon from the beginning, which is one of the reasons why we have we still hold the same beliefs. We hold the beliefs of the original Catholic Church. And I plan on doing other sermons that going more depth and more, more beliefs than I'm covering today. Anyway, as I mentioned before, Polycarp taught the Ten Commandments. Polycarp related all things, teachings with Scripture, and he didn't believe that tradition should override Scripture. And Polycarp kept the seventh-day Sabbath. And the Greco-Roman Protestants, generally speaking, don't do that. Polycarp kept the biblical holy days, and something the Greco-Roman Protestants don't do. As I mentioned, he didn't keep Christmas or Easter. Scholars know this. It's no doubt about this. And he didn't keep many other days uh, that the Greco-Romans and the Protestants uh, observed. He kept Passover on the 14th which had come as a shock to uh, probably a lot of lay Catholic, Roman Catholics, and Eastern Orthodox and Protestants, because you think, well, we don't think about the 14th. Okay. Polycarp taught the kingdom of God, and Polycarp believed in the millennial reign. Apostle John wrote about it. He was here, he knew, he knew John, he conversed with John. Uh, Polycarp held a Benetarian view of the Godhead. He was not a Trinitarian. So, based on those doctrines, you should be able to see that Polycarp was essentially a Church of God and not Roman type of original Catholic. I didn't go into some other things here, but we have other evidence that, by the way, he also did not eat biblically unclean meat, which is something that the Greco-Roman Protestants do now. Polycarp was a heretic fighter, and he heeded Jude's admonition, which I'll read, to contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Will you do that? Well, if you want more information about the beliefs of the original Catholic Church, again, we hold, uh, hold up this particular book, uh, uh, Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church. And if you're Protestant, you also may want to read the book, Hope of Salvation, How the Continuing Church of God Differs from Protestantism. Be willing to believe the Bible. Be willing to contend for the original faith, like Polycarp or Smyrna did. He was martyred because he stood for the original faith. Will you try to live the original faith today?